Hello, everyone, and welcome to Global Gurus, where every Friday we explore stories of international business and speak with industry leaders operating around the world. I'm your host, Philip Auerbach of Auerbach International. Thank you for joining us. If you're tuning in for the first time, we start each podcast with a running segment called Faux Pas Fridays, where we explore a funny blooper or mistranslation that does not quite convey the professional image that your organization wants to project. And since today's guest has a business in the insurance industry, I'd like to present a um, blooper from the, from the auto insurance industry, which does not match his, his version of insurance, but still illustrates the point. And this was a real excuse given in English for a reason for an accident, again, conveyed to an auto insurance company, where the writer said, the guy was all over the road. I had to swerve a number of times before I hit him. With that, uh, today's guest is Tom Finn, co-owner and CEO of LegUp, a professional coaching and well-being platform with a global presence. Possessing a wealth of experience in employee benefits, insurance market trends, business development, and revenue strategies, he's a thought leader behind two of LegUp's innovative product offerings, the LegUp platform and talent insurance. His mission is to move professional coaching from an elite executive experience to an inclusive company-wide opportunity and to move companies away from outdated leadership styles to talent management and to talent empowerment. So welcome, Tom. Delighted that you could join us today. Philip, great to be with you. Thanks for having me on the show. So before we dive in, could you tell us a bit about your your background, your international background, how you how you grew up and how you gained some of your global experience? Oh, I'd, I'd be happy to. Uh, well, I'm sitting here today in uh, Newport Beach, California, which is just about an hour south of Los Angeles. So if you want to put a pin in a map for where I'm sitting today, uh, you'd find me just, just south of LA. But my journey really began internationally. Uh, my parents were both uh, in Athens, Greece when I was born. So uh, I, I was born in Athens. And uh, at the age of 18, I did have the opportunity to join the Greek army, uh, which I respectfully declined uh, and went to college instead. Uh, but, you know, before that, we, we lived in London for uh, about a decade uh, in my in my childhood before we moved uh, to the States. So uh, my dad was always in international business and shipping and international trade, uh, worked for airlines internationally. And I think uh, as I grew up, I always had an international eye as I looked at business um, just as a young boy growing into college and then graduate school, and then ultimately starting leg up with that same international eye. Fascinating. And uh, Leg Up is an international, it's a, pl a coaching platform, but apparently you've got coaches from all around the world. Is that correct? That's right, Philip. So Leg Up is a professional development and coaching platform designed for the next generation of employees. Um, we are very focused on providing an inclusive uh, and diverse option for employees around the world. And so a lot of our customers are in the U.S., uh, but we certainly have customers and coaches uh, on international uh, soil. And so we we now serve uh, 20 different countries. Um, our coaches speak uh, 10 different languages, uh, and that serves our international community quite well. Fascinating. And can you give some examples of um, what countries you're in and 
perhaps some uh, issues dealing with coaching in different countries? Yeah, we're primarily uh, globally in Canada, in the European Union. Uh, we have coaches in Australia, New Zealand, Japan, uh, India. Um, so we've we've got a good spread around, around the globe. But I think um, Canada brings up a great example because it's so close to home for us here in the U.S., but it is an international uh, country. And yeah. so when we think about Canada, um, what we try to think of when we when we entered was, you know, what does this look like? What's it going to cost? Are we too early to enter Canada? What are the watch outs? And I think one of the things we did um, really poorly is, uh, you know, perhaps not understand that the Queen's English uh, is very important to Canadians. And you're going to have to add a lot of use uh, to your um you know, to your vocabulary as you go into Canadian English, um, which is uh, primarily the Queen's English from from the UK, uh, which is different than American English. You mean spelling? You the, the letter U in spelling? I do. That's exactly what I mean. Uh, and and so when you go from uh, you know, if you're an American company and you're thinking, oh gosh, it's just so easy to enter Canada. They speak the same language. They're just nicer. Um, and, and there may be some truth there, but, uh, you know, in terms of spelling and changing your, your documents or your website, et cetera, there is an expectation that you certainly are in uh, Canadian English uh, spelling wise. Um, since I'm in the language business, I run a translation company. I'll ask you a question, which see if you know this in Canada, what is a hydro bill? What is a hydro bill? A bill, B. You get a you get an invoice every month from your hydro company. What is that? I'm I'm hoping you'll tell me, Philip. <laughs> well, hydro in American English is water, right? Right. In Canadian English, your hydro bill is your electric bill. There oh, we go. Yes, there we go. Very good. So there's there's one place uh, one could stub their toe uh, okay. in in heading into Canada. I think the other one that's perhaps very simple, but not everybody thinks through this, is that when we invoice our customers or we're putting proposals on the table, very simply, here's a proposal for goods and services in Canada, that you've got to do the translation into Canadian dollars. You can't offer a, a package of services or products and say, here's your US dollar bill. Uh, it doesn't really work that way. It makes you feel foreign. Uh, instead of making you feel local, which is advantageous for your company. Absolutely. Well, in any any company, in any international situation, it's always beneficial to appear local. Absolutely. Um, Mexico, many Mexicans, by the way, think that Coca-Cola is a Mexican company just because it's so omnipresent in Mexico and they do such a great job um, you know, branding it locally. Um, can you give us some examples of some great successes that you've had in your coaching, international coaching? I think one of the things that we've been really successful in doing is making sure that we do localize our coaches. So let me give you an example of what I mean. Um, it's, it's fantastic to have a U.S.-based employee working with a coach in Spain that speaks great English and has a different take. And that's absolutely okay um, and, and supported by our platform. But I think there are some nuances in business that you really want to look to localization for. 
And one of those is understanding the local management styles, the local structures within organizations. And so one of the successes we've had is taking folks that are in Switzerland and giving them uh, coaches that understand the Swiss culture, uh, the varied languages there uh, in Switzerland, because they speak German and French and Swiss, right? Uh, well, Italian. A little Italian, yeah, yeah. Romance, which is there. A, a local language there. Yeah, yes. it's it's a version, a version of, and I, I think understanding that and putting coaches around people that are in that space makes a lot of sense because taking an American coach and having somebody try to support um, a Swiss uh, national, for example, they don't really understand the nuances of of that culture. I'll give you one example that, that we run into, um, certainly in Switzerland, uh, they are known in the American culture as making great watches, uh, you know, beautiful timepieces. They're known for their wonderful trains. And of course, you know, the Swiss Alps that we see on television right. and, and and it's, it's all, it's all true. But one of the nuances about the Swiss culture is that you, you absolutely cannot show up late there is no excuse for showing up late and of equal value is you cannot show up early. So <laughs> let, let me give you an example. If we're all in Switzerland and we're, we're going over to a friend's house for dinner and uh, dinner's uh, going to be at seven. We've been asked to arrive at seven. Um, you wait outside. If you arrive at six fifty-six. Uh, you wait on the sidewalk and you look at that beautiful Swiss watch that will tell you exactly what time it is. And then at seven o'clock, not seven o one, you walk up to the door and you uh, you knock or or ring the doorbell, and and that is very much uh, a part of the Swiss culture. Uh, and one more thing, if you didn't know, their trains are always on time, so don't be late. Yes. That's fascinating. I did not know that about Switzerland. That is fascinating. Um, uh, what about I guess some major differences between. Uh, coaches and different coaching styles or different countries. What have you encountered there? Well, I think there's there's. Let's start with the similarities because it's always nice to to have things feel familiar. And I think one of the nice things in the coaching space is that there's a large global organization called the International Coaching Federation, which is sort of the governing body of ethics and values and continuing education for this emerging profession called coaching. And uh, there's fifty thousand global coaches uh, in the world, and the ICF actually does a beautiful job of having local chapters and then also providing a platform where uh, these coaches get the same types of training around how to deliver coaching, how to be effective, you know, human behavior type science, uh, as well as all of the ethic uh, components that are so important to all of us uh, when working in privacy and working with people that uh, have access to our own personal information. So that's how we're all tied together is through this sort of association. I think how they're different is that coaches within each given market will have their own style. They'll have their own methodology. They'll understand the local business and the culture of the companies that they work within. So let me, let me give you an example. Um, you know, we were chatting about this in, in Japan, for example, we, we would never match a young female coach 
to a very senior male executive, because culturally in Japan, um, that just won't work. Uh, so what we need to do is match somebody of, of equal generation and typically the, the same gender um, or, or perhaps a male gender in this in this example. And so that that culturally will be a match versus, you know, perhaps uh, my original example wouldn't work. Uh, in the case of Japan or China or Korea or East Asia, where people are much more reticent to share their um, their their business um, mistakes, let's call them. I mean, they, they are mistakes um, because there, there's a tremendous need to save face. And so one doesn't like to admit doing anything wrong. So in this case, how does how do the coaches cope with that? Because you know, to be an effective coach, I assume these are all business coaches, by the way. They are. Um, so in, in the business environment, you, you obviously need the, the client to be open and frank with you, with you, the coach, about issues that are going on. But do you find or do the coaches find that um, their Asian clients are less are, are more reluctant to share, you know, share difficulties? I would say that the the you're 100 percent correct on the of the East and understanding certainly in in India, uh, in Japan, in China, Singapore, like you said, people don't want to admit mistakes. But in coaching, um, you're not looking for people to admit mistakes. What you're looking for is for them to self-identify that they could do things differently. And that doesn't have to be the something wrong before. It could simply be the work that I'm doing going forward is going to be slightly different because now I have more information. And so I think that's a key principle to ensuring um, that people don't feel uh, like they're being attacked or, uh, or, or like this is in violation of their own value system, whether that's their personal or their cultural value system. Hmm. And so we're very thoughtful about how we do that. Now, our science uh, and all of our intellectual property goes through measures of productivity and measures of well-being. And it's done in a way that it helps support the growth of an individual, no matter if you're in uh, sort of Eastern or, or Western cultures. Hmm. That's fascinating. Um, and do you do coaching in the Middle East as well or in Arab countries? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Uh, we've had a couple of inquiries from the Middle East, but we have not actually uh, onboarded an account in the Middle East. Um, and there are differences there, obviously, based on uh, a variety of factors, and in, in one of them being religion and location. Yeah, very much so. Uh, what about Latin America? Because traditionally, not always, but traditionally, it's a very you know, top-down macho culture. Um, and, you know, the, they, I guess it's the same situation where they may, many of the senior executives probably would not take well to a, a female uh, coaching them. We haven't explored Latin America, um, primarily driven by those characteristics that you just highlighted. Uh, it's not a it's not a rich coaching market. Um, the largest coaching markets in the world are the U.S., uh, the European Union, Canada, and Australia. So we focused our efforts there, but we do serve uh, our customers with folks in Mexico who are coaches uh, themselves, uh, but may we may not have any customers uh on sort of latin american soil uh today right. well, that's fascinating um what about cultural issues uh, either similarities or differences between 
you know, how, for example, an Indian coach might serve a client versus, um, you know, versus one from Mexico, for example, or one from Europe. Sure. Well, I think um, we all have our own preferences, uh, our own backstory. Um, Philip, whether it's whether it's you on the East Coast and me on the West Coast, right? Perhaps uh, East Coast and West Coast, even in the United States, looks at things slightly different. And and from that, we that creates our own culture in our own communities. Um, you know, Philly's different than New York. That's different than Boston. That's different than LA, right? And and certainly Dallas, right there in the middle, is going to be a little different from from all of those. And so um, we sort of pick what's familiar to us. It's no different globally. Uh, so if you just think about the U.S. as a microcosm of different cities having different looks and feels, now just expand that into different countries having different looks and feels, and it it sort of makes sense in that way. And so for us, when we look at uh, expansion. What we're looking for is people that really are familiar in that local localization of the product. So we want Canadian coaches coaching wonderful uh, Canadian employees. We want, uh, but that doesn't limit us from saying, "My goodness, we have some terrific coaches in Mexico, and somebody wants to speak Spanish in their coaching. They can select somebody from Mexico, right. uh, and they do that based on language preference as well." Um. In terms of, I guess, sort of coaching coaching styles, if um, if an Indian coach is coaching an Indian client, does that differ much from, let's say, a German coach coaching a German client? It, it does, yeah. And that, those are two great examples because they're very extreme. Um, so let, let's just unpack that a little bit. So if an, an Indian coach um, understands the culture of India, where they don't like to admit mistakes, and they certainly want to put on a good face. And so they're going to understand that, recognize it, and coach in a way that doesn't put the person on their heels, uh, going through the process, and and these are nuances. These are these are the way you phrase questions. These are these are the, this is the feedback that you give, and coaches are trained in this methodology and they understand it. And then in Germany, you've got to be a little more direct. Uh, if you've had conversations with certainly with German leaders, um, they do not have a whole lot of time for small talk. Uh, most of them, they want to get right to the point. They want to know that you're trustworthy and you're competent and they want to move quickly through a process. Um, they, they don't have a lot of time for fluff. They're, they're also a lot more top down that we tend to find uh, as well. And so you're going to have a much more frank, direct conversation if you're a German coach with a German leader uh, than you are perhaps if you're an Indian coach with an Indian leader. And we are generalizing a little bit here, right. uh, so I do want to I do want to put that out there. We we're making some generalizations. This isn't all encompassing. Uh, of course, we all have different human characteristics that that drive this for us. One of the management styles in the United States is basically um, empowerment, where a senior a senior leader, CEO or senior vice presidents, whatever, in general. Um, delegate and try to trust the junior managers to either figure out how to solve an issue or at least um, trust them to implement whatever the challenge may be. Uh, whereas in Europe and in, in certainly in India and Asia and so forth, it's much more, I think, top down where the, the senior managers make the decisions and the junior managers don't ex are not expected to 
make a lot of the decisions, but instead, I think, expected to implement what the higher ups tell them to do. So does it ever occur where, uh, for example, an American coach might uh, suggest to, let's say, a German or a Frenchman or another European, not not a Brit, but to another European, a a Spaniard, Perhaps this is another way of structuring your company, or this is another way that could be effective. Or does that do these management styles not cross cultures or borders? I think you're right on on the management style. Um, one of the things that in the U.S. You, you'll see this empowerment movement, and I actually host a podcast called the Talent Empowerment Podcast, uh, which leans right into what you were saying, Philip, uh, and it's all about. Uh, lifting up people, leaders, so that they can lift up their teams. And uh, that is exactly what's going on around the U.S. And certainly, I think you gently touched on it in, in the U- U.K. as well. Um, and when you when you venture into sort of mainland Europe, you do still have a top-down you know, uh, industry model. I think that will change over time. So to answer your question directly, coaches... Uh, in the U.S. understand that, but they're trying to give the best advice for the individual in a private setting, right? That that will mean to, to the employee, hey, look, these are the cultural norms within your company that may be different than what you and I are talking about today, Philip. The same thing will happen in mainland Europe. Here are Here is some advice. Here is some conversation on how you could fix this, but it needs to be within the context of how your company operates, what your culture is within the company, not just your societal culture, but your culture within that company. Because there are certain things you could get away with in one German company that you certainly could not get away with in another German company that might be in the same industry, just because the cultures are so different within a company structure. And so all of those nuances are taken into account in these coaching models. Uh, And it's important that you have the right coaches uh, that really understand this, because you have to source through 50,000 coaches out there in the world. um, And there are not 50,000 great coaches in the world. So part of being a platform is is being the principal and uh, making sure that you're hiring good teachers um, and making sure that you're weeding out those that don't understand, as you said, these cultural language, localization, um, competency uh, preferences that, that apply in your example to mainland Europe, they apply in Australia, but let me be clear, they also apply in San Francisco and Dallas Absolutely. and New York. <laughs> Very much so. Um, if, you have, if you had the chance to give your current self some advice from the past, what would you tell yourself now? I, th- I think this one you hear from a lot of entrepreneurs, uh, and, and it's no different for me. <laughs> Relax, everything's going to be okay. Um, I think that's the advice I would give myself. Uh, you know, take take a step forward and a step forward and a step forward um, because it's going to be okay. And and we tend to uh, most of us certainly that are entrepreneurs or business folks, we tend to put more pressure on ourselves than anybody else can put on us. And uh, that's just the the nature of who we are as people. And so I would tell myself to relax, uh, that everything's going to be okay in the end. And and I'll tell you, Philip, I still tell myself that. I I tell my future self five years from now, you know, everything's going to be okay. Just just keep pushing forward. 
Well, you're also in Southern California, so you've got the the image of the reputation of surfing in the afternoon anyway. So that's right. Although uh, if I have surfed once in Hawaii on vacation on a longboard on a wave that was, I don't know, 12, 12 inches high um, after after some uh, wonderful surf instructor taught me how to do it. So that was the only time I've ever surfed uh, was a handful of years ago in Hawaii. Uh, Very good. So you actually do work during the day and don't just take off on the beaches in the afternoon. I got it. I, I, I do. I'm, I'm like many fellow entrepreneurs. Uh, this is, I work half the day, uh, about 12 hours um, during the week. And then half the weekend, about 12 hours on the weekend, uh, one of the weekend days. And, you know, that, that is the life of, uh, of people building things. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's a life I chose and actually, you know, for me, I'm very grateful for it. Um, I get to I get to speak with and talk to people all around the world and uh, enhance my network as well as really enhance my own learning and understanding of, of how things work. It's wonderful. Well, on the subject of sort of what what do you do during the times you're not working on your on your so-called off hours? What gets you excited? What do you enjoy doing? Sure. Well, for, for me, it's very simple. Um, I, I have a large uh, family at home and uh, kids of all ages. And um, I love attending my kids events and just spending quality time with my family. But uh, you'll you'll find me in the kitchen. Uh, so my way to unwind and relax is that I love to cook. Uh, and uh, and that for me is is uh, relaxing and it allows my mind to settle down and my hands to move and and my creativity to flow and and that's a space um that doesn't take too much time like 4 hours playing golf which I still love but don't get to do as much anymore uh so cooking for me is that relaxation moment that sounds marvelous all right well when i next come to southern california i will drop in and meet your family and have a wonderful home cooked meal Thank you. Yeah. Come on over, Philip. We, we'd love to have you. We've got a, we've got a big table and uh, we'll, we'll set a perfect spot for you. It sounds great. Um, before we close, is there anything else you'd like to share? Well, I think as, as uh, people are thinking about going international uh, or they're already international, just try to make sure that you understand what loss of control you may have in different languages or different cultures and countries within your own brand setting. So the one thing, um, uh, I'll give you an example. I'll give you one example for me is we call our product in the United States talent insurance. And in uh, in French Quebec, they want to call it assurance de talent, assurance talent, which doesn't have quite the same ring to it. Um, so, you know, one of these things, uh, is, is okay, but you just need to make sure that as you're branding globally, you're thinking about what are the cultural differences, um, and, uh, how does that impact where you want to take your brand? Very true. Thank you. That's very great insight. And thank you so much for your other wonderful insights about doing business in other parts of the world and different cultural issues as well. Uh, so thank you, Tom, for joining us. Philip, thank you so much for having me and uh, best of luck to everybody as you as you look to expand or maintain your, your business internationally. So this has been Philip Auerbach. Please join us again next week for another edition of Global Gurus and their stories of international business.